So I feel like we've talked about this in one version or another, but it keeps popping up for me, which is the theme of, you know, you're not above this. Being in situations where a thought arises, a feeling bubbles up, and my first instinct is to reject it because we are above this. We're beyond this. Like, this doesn't match our status of awesomeness and wisdom and grace and intelligence and success. Now, very frequently, I'll reject and then I go, oh, no, since you're having it, if you're having it, it's yours. And by definition, you're not above this. This is exactly where you're at right now. This level of petty, this level of childish, this level of needy, this level of confused or egotistical. That's exactly who you are. Maybe you are. You recognize it now and you know that this is not who I strive to be, but you're still there, right? But you still are that. You might know better and you might sometimes act better or different, but right now the truth is that this is what you're feeling. Like a chubby guy going to the gym, but still being chubby. Yes. And like the chubby guy having gone to the gym and after the gym on the way home, picking up a piece of ice cream, you know, and then while eating it, you can't just the moment you get self-aware of it, throw it away and be like, no, we've not been eating chocolate. We're above this. We're now healthy people. No, pretty sure you ate the chocolate. <laughs> Obviously, that's still part of who you are. Now, rejecting that part of you, pretending it doesn't exist, pretending you're true self now is this above ice cream self is nothing but a lie. And you're creating distorted self-image of who you are. It's not going to make it easier to be someone that transforms from where they stand right now, right? So I don't think that acknowledging who you are in this moment is in the way of becoming who you could be. It is an important stepping stone. It just doesn't feel that way because it's not as clean and nice as we'd like to imagine our future self. I went to the gym. Now I'm a gym person. I still don't have a six pack. I went already for... Yes, but ice cream, I now only eat in hiding. So, and I will give speeches to my friends who eat ice cream and chocolates. And it's only the healthy ice cream. Yes. You know, there's, again... There's something to be said for having the awareness to catch yourself in some situations where maybe my old self would have been eating ice cream all day long, not even conscious of it. Now I might catch myself in the middle and make choices. Do I want this or not? But it's different to say, oh, now that I'm waking up to it, I actually don't want ice cream right now. I just went to the gym. Let me do this later at a better time or at a time I will enjoy it more. That's one thing. But the other thing is to throw it away and pretend it never happened or pretend, no, I will never need ice cream anymore because I now realize that I'm above ice cream, right? Which is another funny fact is like, that's probably and partially why the moment we gain awareness and maybe try to overcome something, an old habit or a way of living, why many of us become so sensitive towards anyone else that still lives that way. Right. So it's the typical example of the ex-smokers being the most obnoxious, the most obnoxious around people that are smoking. You know, lots of people that submit to kind of a lifestyle that seems to give them a sense of meaning. You know, people that change their eating habits and see some positive results. Oftentimes they become very militant in trying to convince everybody that that's the only way you should be eating or being highly critical when people are not subscribing to their way of life now. And what is that? You know, I always come back to the same thing, which is insecurity, right? It's the, I don't yet feel safe in my way of life. I don't feel settled in it. I don't feel comfortable with it. 
So anyone else that doesn't live that kind of lifestyle seems like a threat to me, is irritating me, is remembering or reminding me of something I don't want to know, or is tempting me. How delicious me. that steak tasted. Yeah. I got to defend myself against that evil. Yes. Or that sort of like, you know, maybe disproportionate hope how big the benefits are of what I'm doing and how much I need those benefits. And hence, now I'm also really desperate that anyone else I like absolutely needs to have these benefits and can't live without them. They never asked me to, I don't really know if they can or cannot, but it will just project my insecurity onto others and try to force them to live this quote unquote, better lifestyle, healthier lifestyle, submit to this, whatever it is that I'm doing that I now believe is the answer to my problems or the solution to some of my challenges. And for me, I think it's trickiest in areas that seem small because I find that a lot of my shadow sides, the kind of the parts of me inside of me that I don't find that beautiful are only able to pop out in tiny little cracks, like in tiny little areas. And so they're very kind of incognito, very hidden, very usually not coming out, at least not in ways that are obvious to me in big topics. And so they come out in little topics. But now that I notice them in little topics, I notice how often I have a certain arrogance towards those parts of me and this sensation of like, I still do this? I thought we've left that behind us. We don't need this anymore. You know, and it's sort of a, you know, I'm like eating this ice cream and then I wake up to it and go, ice cream? We don't need ice cream. This is just sugar and it's too much of it. And it's not good for our health. We could just go and get some fruit if we want. Men like us don't need ice cream. Yes. Someone like a CEO like you doesn't need this cheap ice cream. You know, go and get like a healthy smoothie. That's the same thing. And it's just so much better. And... Now, catching myself and going, no, we're not better than this. And there is no better than this. There might be choices that make me happier. This choice right now, am I really making it fully consciously? Am I really fully aware? Am I really going to enjoy this ice cream? Because ice cream is awesome. And there's no human that's above ice cream. There's no being above a thing like this. It's just, do I really enjoy it? Is this really the right moment? And am I fully present for it and taking it fully in? Or is it sort of a, I'm stressed and hence, I'm eating something sweet to suppress some of my feelings. And then even then, at times, I've noticed that kind of a pattern in me. And I went, well, right now, I don't have a better coping mechanism. You know, for all the meditation and all the yoga and all the great things I know in this very second, I don't have a better coping mechanism right now. That's going to be my coping mechanism. And it's fine. It's not the end of the world. Some fucking ice cream. Like you'll survive it. This is just like little eating habits or even, you know, we had talked about this prior where I'd noticed when I would come back to Europe, how often I would look in the mirror and that I would look especially in and from the context of did I gain weight? Did I lose weight? I've not been working out as much. Is it visible or not? And then I thought, wow, I'm so vain. Uh, this is such a big little thing that is, again, running as a background program. Anytime I pass a fucking mirror, I'm like, this is, I'm better than this. Who cares about my looks? Yeah, bullshit. Like I'm better than this. I'm definitely not better than this. But these are all kind of little lifestyle choices, thought patterns or choices. And I'm getting, I think, more gracious with myself around these things. And then, you know, the moment you do it with yourself, you extend that grace to the rest of the world as well. But there's also this other phenomenon that I noticed recently where when I've moved on from a certain type of thinking or a certain type of 
thing. Let's say that I was, I don't know, like super into bodybuilding. I never was, but let's say I was hardcore into bodybuilding and then I discover CrossFit. And then I realized, oh my God, CrossFit is so much better than bodybuilding. Let's say in this example, it makes me, you know, have better cardio and makes it more holistic. It's more competitive, more social. It's more fun. It's not just visual. I become super excited about CrossFit. One of the tricky things is then when I see friends or people that I know that are super into bodybuilding, not to feel above them, not to feel like they're still into bodybuilding, you know, that old thing. I used to have this hardcore with, I don't know, with like, you know, learning hypnosis or NLP, you know, and I was like super into the kind of like communication technique and self-help stuff. Then when I sort of moved on from that and felt like I didn't need that anymore, it wasn't as useful to me. When I would see my friends go super hardcore to self-help stuff, I felt like, no. Kind of like when you're a kid and then you grow up and you look at the games little children play. And you're yes. Like it's a, a total lack of humility. It's an absolute arrogance of feeling better than a group of people, a certain type of lifestyle, a, a whatever. And it's funny because it's not necessarily something I'd like to attribute to myself. You know, it doesn't feel really nice, but I do have that. I have that pattern and it's so hidden that it took me a long time to even notice it ever so slightly because it's not a loud thing in my face. It's kind of the furthest, faintest whisper in the back of my mind. And only, you know, recently in this area, at least, I started hearing those whispers. And at first, these are foreign demons, nothing to do with me. Be gone, demons, be gone. And now I go, oh, that is me. That is also a part of me. It's not a part I like. It's not a part I show prominently or publicly to anybody. And hence, I also kind of hide it within myself, you know, but it's there, right? Subtle, but very frequent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just because it's hidden doesn't mean it's not important or not a big part of how certain feelings or decisions are being generated in my life. And also, it's an important message. Anything, again, like thinking of ourselves in an ecosystem of a family, right? Think about that family member that has to hide that nobody acknowledges as behind the fucking sofa and is whispering because it's afraid to be seen. You know, that sort of a child of a family, you know, is definitely doesn't point to that this is a healthy ecosystem, right? That there's a part of me that is suppressed and hidden in that sort of an existence and can't be honest and upfront and have a seat at the table, right? Because it's too judged. It'll be too judged to be allowed there. Can't be true to itself, right? Yeah. And just like any other part of us, anger, you know, hurt, whatever it is, those little parts, you know, whatever we call them, maybe it's arrogant part, you know, also has a reason for its existence. There's reasons why it's whispering these things. The reasons are usually is trying to protect us, is trying to make us feel good about ourselves or to make us not feel worse than everyone else. And the counter to that is let's feel above everybody else, right? Or whatever it is, it is doing these things to protect the whole system, to protect from something. And as long as we hide from it and it has to hide from us, there's never any kind of resolution that can happen to even really realize 
why am I having these feelings? Why am I having these thoughts? What's the origin of it? And what is it helping me with? Right? What is the utility of it for it to keep existing? Because rationally, I think there's no utility. Rationally, I think I don't need this anymore. I'm above this. But since it still exists and persists, it must have utility. It must have a reason for existence. What is it? Obviously, it's in the shadow in an area that's a blind spot for me. So here's a chance to illuminate, to generate insights, to see more clearly and more fully, who am I really, right? Who am I truly? You know, I'll say something else embarrassing that I just noticed. Like, again, oftentimes these things, when I notice them, at first, I notice them in a way that I couldn't speak yet. I feel it, but I can't speak it yet. And then sometimes weeks, sometimes months later, eventually it does it clicks and I can say it now. Oh, it becomes more clear until you can articulate it. Yeah, that feeling that I was having every time this happened, boom, now I feel jealousy or I have this kind of thought pattern in this situation. Like a month prior, I couldn't say it yet. I didn't have the awareness. And one thing that I noticed that I find embarrassing to admit, that is the sort of thing where I'm like, come on. We should be better than this. But I've noticed that when good friends of mine or friends of mine in general, whenever they talk publicly about certain topics, I would always listen to to see if my name will be brought up. So if there's a podcast that a friend of mine is hosting and they start talking about inner work or something, I'll eventually go, well, my name is going to be mentioned you know, in some kind of story or something. And then when it's not, there's always a little disappointment like, huh, not even mentioned here, you know, or back in the day, I remember when a bunch of my ex sales reps started to do podcasts and interviews and YouTube videos and trainings and stuff. I would always look, something would run over my desk. I would always look for, are they going to give credit to me? Are they going to mention me? You know, if there was no mention, I was a little hurt, you know, I was a little like, how dare they not say the great Stelly FD taught me everything I know about sales. I mean, and now even like having this thought, although rationally, although I'm not aware that when somebody does give me props or mention me, that it gives me a good feeling. I'm not aware of that. When I hear my name or something, I just shoulder shrug. That's what I show publicly to the world. And also to myself, if I'm alone, I'm like, doesn't matter. It's not about me anyways. Like even when people go, Steli is awesome. It's not about Steli that is awesome. It's about something they see reflected back to them about them that they see in me that they find awesome. I know that rationally, but if the lack of it is even the tiniest irritating, then the presence of it must be soothing. It must be somehow soothing to me, like someone putting me at ease. Ah, okay. The world is in order. You know, people admire me or people talk about me publicly. But one of the, I think that's the sort of, the kind of enlightenment shower that we have to take to be really refreshed and humble and full of humility is seeing our full self. And seeing our full self is maybe one of the most difficult things because it will include a lot of things that we have cut out of our perception about ourselves. Struggle to accept about ourselves. Yeah. Many things we don't want to accept about ourselves. Many things that we have convinced ourselves we've moved on from in our past. And so we've done all these internal mental gymnastics and created all these mirrors, you know, that exclude these different 
portions and parts and, you know, eventually sold ourselves on this, the longer it goes and the more it hardens. And then to start seeing that, it's like, I mean, the sooner you see it, the better, right? But otherwise it's like these, some people that like, as they age, they start doing plastic surgery and then it's more and more and more. And at some point it becomes more and more ridiculous, right? Yeah. But to them, they don't see that. They see, oh yeah, this makes me more beautiful, but yeah. they turn into a, insert the right word here. <laughs> <laughs> they turn into something that might not look beautiful to everyone's eyes at all times. It's actually another fun example. I used to be tremendously judgmental of people with a lot of plastic surgery and I still am, I'm sure. And then, you know, when I pass the mirror and I get all like insecure because I haven't been working out for a long time, then I go, this is it. This is the feeling they're trying to cope with. And someone that chooses to cope with it with plastic surgery is not a worse human or terrible human. It's just a human that had no better tool than that at that time. And the more you use that tool, the more it becomes normal. And eventually you see the world very differently from the outside or from people that haven't gone down that path. And it's easy to judge somebody in an extreme situation. But on the flip side, you know, now at times I've found more grace and I go, wow, the amount of suffering and insecurity to go to an extreme place with plastic surgery, to go to a place where, you know, it looks grotesque to grotesque to many outside eyes. That is not, you know, that is severe human suffering, you know, and a limited amount of tools. Like again, our childlikeness in this sense, like treat everybody like a child, especially yourself. You know, it's a childish solution to a problem. I want to be pretty and I don't know how. Let's take some scissors, you know, and some crayons and make ourselves pretty, you know, and then you go to, and then again, you look, oh, what are all the rich and beautiful do? And they all seem to be doing this. Let's just do what the beautiful and rich do and we'll be beautiful and rich. It's the most kind of, it's a very simple obvious way of thinking and it might lead to some tricky results but it's not just that you know i've noticed is now that i turned 40 even prior to this up until recently i really never thought about my age most of my 20s and 30s i never thought about my age at all and in the last years i started realizing how much pride some of my friends or some of the people in my life got from how young they look like and i did too but i didn't value it much because i was like ah, i don't care but people would always comment that I look younger than I am, that always felt good. And then eventually, especially the last two years, I felt like I've aged, you know, noticeably. And once I made that kind of big leap in my own eyes and my own judgment of like aging a bit, I started to become more insecure about it. And then I go, wow, it's funny because anything that you're really happy with, like anything that gives you tremendous happiness is an attachment that's probably that has risk. Let's say it this way, because if having it gives you so much joy, not having will give you a certain type of suffering and anything you're particularly proud of, you'll lose, right? Nothing is permanent. And I was thinking, how crazy is it? How important in today's world, everybody I know in their 40s is very concerned to not look like they're in their 40s, is very concerned about to look as youthful as possible. And nobody wants to look their age. And I thought it's kind of, we pretend it's normal, but it's sort of like an interesting question. Why is it so bad to look your age? You know, like you're 50, you look 50. That seems right. No, like that seems, should seem appropriate. Like you look the way you should be looking. Like you're aging with your age. Like what's the problem? What's the big problem? But we live in a 
world where we all want to stay 20 year olds, you know, and mentally we do. <laughs> and physically, many of us strive for. And then when somebody does succeed with this, it's a big thing. Like we're all in admiration with it. And it's nice to look youthful or look pretty. Looking pretty and looking youthful is, is great, but it's really not that big of a deal. That's not going to be a recipe for happiness and fulfillment in life. Uh, being pretty or looking younger than you do is not really as significant as we all make it out to be, but we're sort of mass hypnotized. It's the kind of, if not pretty and youthful, not attractive. If not attractive, your value and your chances of being loved and being attractive to others is plummeting. And we're all sort of sense and feel that being attractive and being loved by everybody else, that's the name of the game. That's what we absolutely have to have and cannot relinquish at all, or we're going to be in trouble in life. Life is sort of, we're losing. There's like some core of truth to it, right? It's normal to want to be attractive, but again. It's normal to want to be attractive. I'm definitely not above it. The question though of, you know, maybe there's a beauty in aging too. Maybe there's a beauty, you know, to go through all the seasons of life and at least nothing to be that afraid of, which again, in reverse, if your biggest pride is how youthful you look, then eventually you're going to be fucked. Like that's a game you're going to lose <laughs> sooner or later. I mean, how amazing you look like sooner or later, you're not going to look as amazing as you did in your 20s or 30s or whatever. You're going to lose. So holding on to that too tightly will be a struggle eventually. But I think even just noticing how much do I care? How much does it move me? And, you know, on the flip side, sometimes, you know, sometimes we get complimented on things and we don't value that much. We go, ah, you know, I hear, I hear this all the time. It's not a big deal. And then you don't hear it once. And all of a sudden you realize, you go, wait a second. So you didn't overreact when you were hearing it, but you absolutely must hear it all the time. You know, and you weren't aware of that. And then once these compliments stop, you go, wait a second, you know, what's going on here? You become all like insecure about it. All of that, all these insecurities, our, you know, childishness, our big ego, our neediness, all these things are part of the rich human experience. And none of it is really worth hiding. None of it is so unique that it needs to be hid away because other people would then notice what's really going on, which is another hack by now. For me, the more someone seems like they don't have a problem with X, the more pronounced it's, the more clearly it is that this person doesn't have a certain problem, the higher the chance I believe that they really have a tremendous problem in that area. Because a lot of that casual strength that we display to each other is did not fall from the sky. It's actually very deliberate, very hard earned. An example? Yeah, I mean, the, somebody that's, you know, a common friend of ours, you know, last year was visiting me in Greece. And we had a conversation about, you know, how much energy and time is being spent on looking attractive and being cool. And his whole look and persona is communicating that he just wakes up in the morning and falls off the bed and just looks this way. He has this very like hippie, I don't care how I look, but somehow I look like a fucking photo model. You know, I only wear these like, you know, cheap clothes that I buy at some like flea market. But somehow everything is always perfectly combined and looks like I'm the fucking shit, you know. And I told him, dude, you're incredibly vain. It's clear that you're very vain and you very much care about how you look like. He's like, no, I don't. I don't even know. I don't even look. I'm like, you might not be aware of it, but nobody always looks as fucking cool as you. 
by accident. It doesn't happen. You cannot, like, you would sometimes look like this and sometimes not. But you're never, everywhere you lean against the wall, everything is a picture. That is not random. That is very much premeditated. I remember a friend once telling me, if there's one thing I know about you, Steli, is that you don't give a fuck what other people think about you. And I was thinking, this is the word this is... <laughs> You know nothing about me apparently yet. Nothing could be further from the truth. But if you meet me at first, and if you hang out with me at first, you would not sense at all that I ever even give a two shits about what everybody else is doing. And I come across so confident and so in my own little world and so like, you know, above others. And it's not, a, I know from experience, it's not an accident. You know, I did not know seven years ago. I didn't know. But now I have the awareness to know. But I think anyone that, to me, another thing is like, you know, that I just had to think of is anytime someone will practically say, ah, this is not a problem I have, then I know that's a problem they have. Because if we are in a group of friends and we talk and you, Ramin, go, you know what? I wanted to talk about this. My biggest problem is I have a, you know, a problem about ice cream. I eat ice cream all the time. I can't stop ice cream. Ice cream is like my vice. I don't have that, Ramin. You know what my instinct is? To say nothing about it. To just go, oh, fuck ice cream, huh? Yeah. And then maybe I'll think, you know, what's for me? For me, it's like fucking chips or something else. But, you know, I have a friend where, you know, a couple of times recently, then I had to bring it up with him. A couple of times when I would share some of my struggles, some of my things that I've discovered about myself, he would go on a huge speech on that's not something he has. He'd be, oh, ice cream, that's your big thing. I don't have ice cream. I never had problems with ice cream. When I was a child, I didn't care about ice cream. Now I don't care much about ice cream. Ice cream is not really a thing. I feel like ice cream is not really the thing. Thing that really bothers me or that and ice cream really if you really think about it it's just sugar water and it's frozen and he would talk and talk and talk and talk about how little it matters to him right for sure it's a problem you know? it's just not a problem that has awareness because otherwise there would be no urge to defend to be above demonstrate how not at all yeah to demonstrate how not at all this is an issue and to keep at it with that much energy right when something is a non-issue for me there's zero energy around it so you go tell me something about it and I just show the shrug and go, oh, my friend, I hope you'll feel better. But I'm not going to be speaking for 10 minutes about this topic to tell you how little I care about it. You know, people screaming, I don't care about this. This is not something I would ever spend time with. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Meanwhile, they spend half an hour screaming about it because they would never spend any time with it. But these are the kind of the person or well, I am not aware that this is a topic and hence why I'm fighting it tooth and nail or why I have to scream or why I have to demonstrate and convince myself. I have the need to convince others and myself of fill in the blank. This is not an issue. This is not part of me. Oh, I never have selfishness. Oh, I never have ego. You know, I used to have ego, but I don't have ego anymore. I never feel like above other people. I'm like, if you need to say those words, <laughs> then you might be, but probably not. You know. Oh, no, no. Don't look in there. Don't look under the bed. No. There's nothing there. Nothing at all. I'm telling you, I would never look under my bed because there's absolutely nothing under my bed. It's surprising how many things I'm not above yet, you know, and maybe never will be. And then, you know, it's again, it's uh, the humility that comes with uh, self-reflection and honesty, self-honesty. When you notice these moments, I notice these moments and I go, nobody would ever know. And I didn't. But there it is. Me feeling this way. Okay, let's pull it under the rug. Let's dust it off. Let's put it on display on this table. And let's find out what is this? Why is it? How is it? You know, and take it from there from a more honest 
a more complete view of my soul, my personality, my being, and not the one that I want the world and myself to see that's like this sterile, plastic, and non-truthful version of myself. This is actually one of the things I liked about uh, Greek passion, where so many of the characters have, and you know, you can, he's describing the inner world too, right? And you see how they have these unaccepted thoughts and feelings, right? But they don't recognize him. They don't ignore, they kind of like just pretend there's something completely different, the opposite. Right? Yeah, yeah. I felt like when I was reading that well, so many times, so intensely and so clearly, right? It almost pulled it also more out in the open for myself. I might have done that once. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's actually, I find this, you know, in most of the great writers, this is a theme that I see, I notice, you know, one of my favorite parts of Anna Karenina was when she's on her way to take her own life and is seeing all these people and has all these like disgusting thoughts about them and how pointless it is, whatever it is they're trying to do. And, you know, you could read that whole part and not notice anything. Just think there's a woman and she's just angry and she's seeing all these people that are stressed and, you know, hopeless in St. Petersburg. But when you pay attention a bit more, you see that everything that she hates about them is something she hates about herself. And all the things she attributes to them are the failures and mistakes of her own life. That's so powerful. And Nikos Kazantzakis is definitely doing that too in Greek Passion, where, you know, Many of these people feel feelings for very specific reasons that they don't want to acknowledge. And so then they have to overstep these feelings and do these gymnastics that usually attribute some threat or problem to an external person and starts a fight or a war when self-recognition would have resolved the pain that cannot be resolved outside of ourselves. Yeah. Inner work, definitely not great for those who want an ego boost and want to feel greater and better. That's another thing they'll say that I hear often now. I notice it. It stands out for me more clearly than back in the day. And I used to do this a lot. When I hear people that are doing a lot of inner work, I love working on themselves. I hear oftentimes people say something along the lines of, yeah, made another step in my evolution. I wish people would know what I just learned. Or I wish I you know, hadn't had to go through all these different methodologies to get to this level. There's framework of thinking that there are levels and that you ascend, you know, and sort of the more you do in a work, the more you realize about yourself in the world, the higher you ascend into the realm of consciousness and knowingness. When I find the road of inner work to be descending, you know, it's like, uh, or another layer of stupidity. Yes, another layer of fear, of insecurity, of, you know, selfishness. And it's kind of you descend downwards, it's not ascending upwards. And this feeling and thinking that I have reached some level that's above other people's level, that I know so much that I am much further along in my journey, that there's a journey that is linear and I have traveled further than the people that I've met is something I used to have. It's a kind of a beautiful feeling that kind of motivates you. It makes you feel better then, you know, it makes you feel good because of that. And now all I sense is that, you know, everything is circular. So you just go in circles. There's no place. Also a completely different journey. Right? Yeah. Every person's journey is so unique and so their own. And there is, you know, some a couple levels above 
this person's inner work. It's like, no, <laughs> you know, at least I don't feel that way anymore. These levels have dissolved eventually. And now I'm thinking it's like, it's not about that. And it's not that. That is not what it is. And yeah, definitely not. A few times a day, I have to remind myself, I'm definitely not above this. <laughs> For sure, I'm not. 